As we begin our message, I want to ask you, what is it that recharges you? What is it that refills your tank or that you would say helps you to come alive? Uh, I've talked many times before about the reality that for me, the beach is a very, very much coming alive place for me. Uh, that being able to go for a walk on the beach or go and sit down by the beach is something that very much refreshes me and re-energises me and uh, is really, really important. I love reading as well, and so uh, getting completely lost and immersed in a really, really good book is something that uh, is very refreshing and recharging for me, so especially when I'm on holidays, consume lots and lots of books, and I uh, really, really love that. For some of us, it might be craft activities, so it might be sewing or it might be knitting, uh, it might be other activities that we do around the house, it could be woodworking stuff or uh, using our hands in different ways. For some of us, it could be spending time with family or friends. Some of us, the biggest thing that might recharge us is going out for dinner or having some people over to be able to hang out together. For some of us, it could be watching or playing sport. And uh, for many of us, that means that our tanks are very, very full because I know for us, we have watched a lot of sport over the last couple of weeks with the Olympics uh, and last night in particular as we watched both the showdown and then the Boomers gold me- uh, bronze medal game. Uh, very, very full tanks this morning, which is really, really great. It's so important for us to understand what those things are that recharge us and refresh us and help us to know what it means for us to come alive and to experience what God has got for us. And so today in our message, we're going to explore a little bit of what Paul says helps him to come alive. He talks very clearly to these Thessalonian people that he's writing to about the reality of what has brought him back to life, recharged his batteries and refilled his tanks. We're doing this series that's called Blueprint, uh, where we are taking the time to unpack this letter that Paul wrote to a church in a city called Thessalonica uh, in Greece. And uh, we read about Paul's visit there in Acts chapter 17. And so hopefully you've taken some time to read that over the last couple of weeks uh, to be able to understand a bit of what went on there, where Paul connected with some people who discovered a little bit about what it meant to follow Jesus and made a decision to do that. Um, But the religious leaders weren't terribly thrilled with Paul and chased him out of there. And so Paul moved on, which we're going to hear a bit more about today, and uh, was concerned for the Thessalonians and so sent Timothy back, which again we're going to read a bit more about today. Uh, And when Timothy caught up with Paul in Corinth, he then wrote this letter to them to explain a little bit more about what was going on for them, what was encouraging about what was happening in their lives, and to strengthen and encourage them. And so over the last couple of weeks, we've looked at the first part, chapter 1 and chapter 2, where we've explored Paul's articulation of the message of Jesus, which can be articulated as faith, love and hope. And then last week, we talked about what's necessary in order for us to share the message of Jesus, that it takes courage and it takes authenticity and it takes a level of caring authentically for the people around us uh, in order to share the message of Jesus. And so today we're going to pick things up in chapter 3. So if you've got your Bible, you can open up to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. And uh, you've got your teaching notes inside of Connect News as well. So you can feel free to grab those out so that you can jot things down as we go through today's message. So 1 Thessalonians 3 verse 1. Paul writes, Finally, when we could stand it no longer, we decided to stay alone in Athens. And we sent Timothy to visit you. He is our brother and God's co-worker in proclaiming the good news of Christ. So we need to do a little bit more background context here to understand a little bit more of what's going on. And again, all of this we see unfold in Acts chapter 17. So not just the first part, but what happens after that. Paul uh, and Silas and Timothy move on from Thessalonica and they go to the next city over, which is a city called Berea. 
The religious leaders from Thessalonica were not impressed at all that Paul was continuing to tell people about Jesus, and so they chased after him. And they ended up chasing after him so much that they chased him out of Berea as well. And so Paul and Silas and Timothy end up making their way down to Athens to spend some time there. But you can imagine what happened for Paul, that he spent this time with the Thessalonians, he spent this time knowing that they've discovered Jesus and that they're excited about being able to do that, but knowing that there are these people who are really aggressively persecuting them. And so as they made their way down to Athens, you can imagine that he was thinking, I wonder how they're getting on. I wonder what's happening for them. And so eventually he makes a decision when he gets to Athens to send Timothy back up to go and visit them. Now, what's really interesting here is that Paul then spends some time alone in Athens. So it's a pretty big decision for him to make, to say, we're going to send Timothy off and then I'm going to kind of spend some time in this huge city on my own. But the passage that we read about in Acts chapter 17, where Paul is in Athens, has become one of the most important texts for us in the church over the last 20 years or so, as we've tried to navigate through what it looks like for churches to engage with the culture around us. Paul walking around in Athens and trying to pay attention to some of the cultural things that were there and trying to identify where God was already at work has become a really helpful tool for us to think about how we can engage with the culture around us. To say, in what ways is God at work in the music that's around us, in the movies that are around us, in the desires that people have in their lives? Where is God already at work and how do we help people to draw uh, their attention to God? It's a really, really amazing thing that because Paul was left on his own in Athens, he ended up working through all of these things, which may not have happened if Timothy hadn't been sent back to Thessalonica. I really love digging into all of this because it gives us a sense of confidence in what we read in Scripture. Being able to piece all of this together and to understand that these were actual events that took place in cities that still exist, a lot of them, and that Paul was wandering around having these conversations with people, but that Paul was then writing these letters to people within a generation of Jesus' life, death and resurrection should give us a lot of confidence in what we're reading. This is not 300 years later that some people are trying to reconstruct who Jesus is and why Jesus is important and whether Jesus was God or not. Paul's writing these things, as we said when we started this series, in AD 51, not very long after Jesus had been around. And he's already saying some very clear things about who Jesus is and about what it means to follow Jesus. And so I hope that gives you confidence to be able to tap into this, to be able to say this was clearly what the majority of people understood about Jesus. It's not stuff that was retrofitted later. Well, Paul continues in the second part of verse 2 where he writes, We sent Timothy to strengthen you, to encourage you in your faith, and to keep you from being shaken by the troubles that you were going through. But you know that we are destined for such troubles. Even while we were with you, we warned you that troubles would soon come, and they did, as you well know. That is why, when I could bear it no longer, I sent Timothy to find out whether your faith was still strong. I was afraid that the tempter had gotten the best of you and that our work had been useless. Now, at the end of chapter 2, if you read that during our reading plan this week, we left Paul where he was saying that he'd hit this roadblock where Satan had put this blockage up that meant that he himself couldn't go back to Thessalonica. And so Paul says, I really wanted to find out what was happening for you. And so that's why we sent Timothy across to check up on you and to find out how you were going. And so it's a really good challenge for us to say when we hit roadblocks, 
How do we respond to those things? When we feel like this is what God wants us to do and we can't go there, do we give up? Do we get frustrated? Or do we find other ways of being able to pursue things? This series is all about us being able to identify some of the key blueprints about what it means to be a healthy church. And one of the things that we can look at today is the reality that when we hit roadblocks, we don't give up, but instead we go back to basics. We don't just give up and throw hands in the air and say, well, it's all too hard. We go back to basics, the essence of what we're trying to do. We step back and say, well, how else can we do the things that we're trying to do together? For Paul, that's what he did. He went back to basics. He said, I really would love to come and see you, but I can't because there's this blockage, whatever that might have been. So my primary concern is to make sure that you're doing okay in your faith and in your journey with Jesus. How else could we do that? I know, we'll send Timothy across to find out how you're getting on and then I'll write you a letter to be able to unpack some of what I would have told you if I was there in person. So for us as a church, it's a good challenge to say when we bump into roadblocks, when things don't go the way that we expect them to go, how do we respond? Do we give up? Do we get frustrated? Or do we go back to basics? We've had to work through this a lot over the last 18 months in particular because of restrictions and lockdowns and all the challenges that we've faced. We've had to say there's all these things that we would love to do when we get together, but what's most important? And as a leadership team, that's been one of the primary questions that we've asked. What are the most important things for us to focus on? How do we go back to basics? So we love getting together and being able to encourage each other and journey together. So when we're in lockdown, how can we do that? We created our online services, and then for those who don't have internet access, we gave you at-home services so that we could all journey together. We've been talking for the last couple of weeks about the reality of having restrictions on singing. So what do we do when we go back to basics? Singing is all about connecting with God. So how do we find other ways of being able to connect with God? When we hit roadblocks, that's what we try to do. Go back to the basics and think creatively about how else we can do that. So what about you in your life when you bump into roadblocks? How do you respond? When you've got this sense, this is what I need to do, this is where I need to go, and something stops you, how do you respond to that? Do you get frustrated? Do you give up? Or do you go back to basics and say, what am I really trying to do here? And part of why this is very important is because Paul says to the Thessalonians, I know that you're experiencing troubles, but that shouldn't come as a surprise to you because that's what we told you was going to happen. And in the early church, that was very much an understanding that if you're going to follow Jesus, you should expect that it's going to be a challenge. I'm not exactly sure at what point in the history of the church we got into this mindset that following Jesus is supposed to be about my life being all perfect and great and wonderful, where I earn lots of money and life is fantastic and I'm completely healthy and nothing ever goes wrong. Somehow we got that message. But if you read what Jesus said, that's certainly not what he said. And if you read what Paul said, that's certainly not his experience or the experience of anyone in the early church. Facing troubles, facing challenges should be something that we actually expect. The question is, how do we respond when those things come our way? Because as Paul mentions, we have to recognise that there is an enemy. Paul calls him the tempter. We talk about Satan, the devil whatever you want to call him, we have an enemy who is trying to stop us from following Jesus, who wants to get in the way of us being able to do that. And the two primary strategies that the enemy uses are discouragement and distraction. So Paul specifically talks about discouragement here to say when you face troubles, it's easy to get really, really discouraged. 
When you face a roadblock, it's easy to give up and say, I'm done. Don't do that. Keep pushing through because that's what the enemy wants to do is discourage you so that you walk away from Jesus. But I think that in the West, honestly, the strategy that the enemy uses more is distraction. If he can keep us distracted enough by watching endless amounts of Netflix or the Olympics, if we're honest with ourselves, if he can distract us with consumerism, if he can distract us with self-centeredness, if he can distract us with all of the stuff that's a part of our culture, he doesn't actually need to discourage us because his work's already done. We've had our attention diverted away from Jesus, so that's all that he needs to do. Are we aware of the strategies that the enemy wants to use to stop us from engaging with Jesus and are we willing to push through those things and be able to say, how do we find a way forward even when things are hard? Well, in verse 6, Paul continues and he writes, But now Timothy has just returned, bringing us good news about your faith and love. He reports that you always remember our visit with joy and that you want to see us as much as we want to see you. So we've been greatly encouraged in the midst of our troubles and suffering, dear brothers and sisters, because you have remained strong in your faith. It gives us new life to know that you are standing firm in the Lord. How we thank God for you. Because of you, we have great joy as we enter God's presence. Night and day, we pray earnestly for you, asking God to let us see you again, to fill in the gaps in your faith. May God, our Father and our Lord Jesus, bring us to you very soon. What's really fascinating here is that Paul says, we sent Timothy to you to strengthen and encourage you. In the midst of the difficult times that you were going through, in the midst of the things that you were working through, we sent Timothy as a way of being able to strengthen your faith and to encourage you to keep going. Timothy's now come back and he's caught up with me. And do you know what's happened to me? You have strengthened and encouraged me. The same words. This was my intention, is by sending Timothy to you, I hope this would happen to you. But in actual fact, because I've heard such an amazing report about how you're doing, because Timothy's told me all these great things about what's going on with you, now I feel strengthened and I feel encouraged. It's actually worked in reverse, which is really, really awesome. And Paul actually uses these words in verse 8 where he says it gives us new life. The translation of that is that sense of coming back to life being fully recharged, having your tank completely refilled, what we talked about at the beginning. Paul says, that's what's happened to me. You've brought me back to life because of these amazing stories that I've heard about how you're doing in the midst of the struggles that you're going through and how faithfully you're following Jesus. It would have been so encouraging for Paul. Just imagine what it would have been like. And remember, Paul's gone down to Athens, but then he's moved on and he's moved on to other cities and has ended up in Corinth while he's waiting for Timothy to catch up to him. He spent all his time praying for these guys, saying, oh, God, I hope that they're getting on okay. Continue to strengthen them, encourage them. And when Timothy finally catches up and shares that they've stuck with their faith in the midst of all the challenges that they're going through, you can imagine how much that would have lifted him, how excited he would have been about that. But it's a great reminder here that even someone like Paul needs that in his life. Sometimes we can think of Paul as kind of being this super leader in the early church who was amazing and just was able to go around, never had any issues and was able to continue to help people to follow, uh, discover Jesus and start following Jesus and just kind of sat above it all. But there's a few times where Paul opens himself up to us and where we see that he was actually really struggling as he worried about what was happening for the Thessalonians. And hearing this great report filled him up and brought him back to life. 
So once again, as we come back to blueprints of what a healthy church looks like, we're reminded that we're all in this together. Following Jesus is not supposed to be something that we just do on our own. This, again, is a very Western thing that we've got, that my faith is about my relationship with God, and that's it. So I come along to a Sunday service with my relationship with God. I read my Bible, my relationship with God. I pray, my relationship with God. But it's just about me. That's never the way that the church was designed. It was always supposed to be about us, needing each other, being there for each other. And this huge list of of things that Paul says here, that as a church, we're here to strengthen and encourage each other. We're here to be the people who strengthen each other's faith, especially when we're going through difficult times, who cheer each other on, encourage each other. We're here to keep each other from being shaken. In those times when it feels like the ground is moving around us, we can steady each other. We're here to pray for each other. And Paul talks about that in two ways, thanking God for each other, thanking God for how awesome it is that we've got this great extended family and the people who are in our life, but also praying earnestly for one another, filling in the gaps for each other. Recognising that none of us follow Jesus perfectly and all of us have questions and doubts and struggles that we go through. That's why it's so important that we're a part of a church family because we can fill in the gaps for each other. We have the opportunity to give each other new life, to recharge each other, to refill each other's tanks. And it's something that's so crucial for us. All of us know the difference that it makes when we hear that someone is moving forward in their walk with Jesus. I can't tell you how much it refills my tanks when I hear someone say that they were reading through our reading plan and that Jesus spoke to them through something that they read or that something we talked about in one of our services was incredibly helpful for them. Or someone who says, during the week this week, I had a conversation with someone at work or with one of my neighbours and it was this really awesome conversation. When I hear those stories about the ways in which we're following Jesus... It lifts me. It encourages me. And I'm sure that the same thing happens for you as well. So it's a reminder that the church is not supposed to be about programs and the church is not supposed to be about buildings. We don't exist to do church. We exist to be church. We don't exist to do church. We exist to be church. We don't do church programs, whether that's Sunday gatherings or our small groups when we get together or the stuff that we do. We exist as a church to be in relationship with each other, to share with each other, to connect with each other, to strengthen each other, to encourage each other. It's why we put such a big emphasis on connect groups. And this is another example of one of the roadblocks that we've faced, that as a leadership team over the last two years, we've talked about the importance of us encouraging people to be part of connect groups and to launch some more. We've had lots of setbacks with that because of lockdowns and challenges and all the other stuff that we've been distracted by. But as we head into the second half of this year, it's a key thing that we want to continue to emphasise, the importance of us being able to gather together to do this stuff. Because some of it happens when we get together on a Sunday, but the reality is when we turn our chairs in, when we face each other, when we share our lives with each other, that's when all of this stuff comes alive. And I'm sure you've all had experiences where you sit with people that you know and hear the struggles that they're going through and have the opportunity to pray for them, there's something amazing that happens there. When we have the opportunity to be able to hear encouraging stories of what's going on in people's lives, it lifts us, it recharges us. So we want to continue to focus on that. What does it look like for us to gather together, not just on a Sunday, but in our connect groups throughout the week? 
Paul then wraps all of this up in verse 12 where he says, May the Lord make your love for one another and for all people grow and overflow, just as our love for you overflows. May the Lord make your love for one another and for all people grow and overflow, just as our love for you overflows. The message translation of this is really, really beautiful and powerful. It says, May the Master pour on the love so it fills your lives and splashes over on everyone around you just as it does from us to you. This is another beautiful blueprint of what it means for us to be a healthy church, that we fill up so that we can splash out. We fill up with God's love so that we can splash God's love around us. Once again, it's easy for us to make our focus on being filled up when we come together and spend time together, but we can make that very much about me. I know that's sometimes the mindset that I have. I hope that I get filled up enough during our time together that I can get through another week. But Paul says the focus is on filling ourselves up so much with God's love that it actually overflows, that it spills out of us, like a glass that's completely full and you can't help but spill the water around the place. That's the focus when we come together, is to be so filled up with God's love that by the time we're finished, In the time that we connect after the service, God's love splashing out onto everyone else around us. As we head out into the week and connect with all the different people that we connect with, God's love splashes out all over us. It's a great reminder of why we don't just spend time once a week getting together to do that. We need to continue to fill ourselves up to overflowing on a daily basis, multiple times throughout the day, so that we've got the opportunity for God's love to fill us to overflowing so that his love splashes out on all of the people around us. And Paul wraps all of this up in verse 13 where he says, May Jesus, as a result, make your heart strong, blameless and holy as you stand before God our Father when our Lord Jesus comes again with all his holy people. Amen. What Paul's saying here, and we've talked before many times, that when, we, when the Bible talks about our hearts, it's really talking about our motives, the reasons why we do the things that we do. And so Paul's saying, may Jesus make your heart strong, blameless and holy as he fills you to overflowing. May your motives be strong, blameless and holy. Will you have the strength to be able to share Jesus' love? Will your motives be pure? Holiness is all about being set apart for God's purposes. And so another way of thinking about what Paul's saying here is that we fill ourselves up with the love of Jesus so much that it washes us clean. All the junk gets washed out of us and we're ended up just left with pure Jesus that then can splash out of us into the people around us. So I want to give us an opportunity to reflect on what that might look like for us as we head into this week. Use this reflection question, what is God wanting to grow and overflow in me? As you think about all of those things that Paul has explained for us this morning, what is God wanting to grow and overflow in me? What's one thing that you sense as we head into this week that God might be saying, this is a good thing for you to fill yourself up with? For some of us, it could be the reality of recognising that we are facing roadblocks, that there are challenges in our lives. And so a part of this is about being able to keep going, being able to find other ways of going back to basics so that we can do the things that Jesus wants us to do? What does it look like to get filled up enough with Jesus that we can push through the roadblocks that we're facing? For some of us, it's about strengthening and encouraging someone. There might even be someone that comes to mind for you right now 
that you think, you know what, this week I'm just going to send them a note or give them a call and find out how they're going to strengthen and encourage them. Could be someone, again, who you can hold firm in the midst of the shaking that's going on for them. There might be someone who you know is going through a really, really difficult time and their world is shaking. This week you can come alongside of them and just steady them a little bit. For some of us, it could be about that reality of giving each other new life. And this could go a couple of ways. First of all, just being encouraged, asking someone how they're going in their walk with Jesus and being encouraged with that. For some of us, it's the challenge of saying, well, we have the courage to talk about what's going on in our lives. Because so often we hold back from doing that because I don't want to brag and I don't want to kind of talk about what's going on in my life. The reality is when we talk about this stuff, we're not saying how great am I. We're saying how great is Jesus. We're pointing people to him. And so for some of us, it's the challenge of being able to say, when I catch up with someone this week or as a part of my connect group this week, I'm going to share something that I've been really encouraged about, something that's been going really, really well because I know that will refill and recharge the other people around me and give them a sense of new life. And for some of us, it could be that imagery of splashing God's love around, thinking specifically about who you will contact and connect with this week. So it could be people at school, at uni, at work, neighbours, people who are part of your extended family, one of your friends. Is there someone who you can just think about what it looks like to splash a little bit of God's love on them as you go into this week? What is it that you're sensing that God wants to grow and overflow in your life as we head into this week? Take a moment to reflect on that and jot some thoughts down, talk to the person next to you, and then we'll come back and we'll pray and transition to communion.
Before we wrap up, just want to remind you that on the back of our teaching notes each week, uh, there are a set of Connect Group questions. So they're the questions that we do use uh, in our Connect Groups as a way of kind of helping us to unpack some of the things that we talk about in our Sunday messages. Um, But you can feel free to use them in any way that's helpful for you. So if you're catching up with someone for a coffee or catching up with a couple of people, you can feel free to use those questions, uh, particularly the middle section, as a way of being able to unpack a little bit further um, about what it is that we've talked about. It's another way of being able to go a bit deeper in that, but also to talk about those next steps and the things that we're saying, this is what I'm sensing God's saying, uh, as a way of holding each other accountable in that. And then again, being able to strengthen and encourage each other as we talk about the ways in which we're moving forward with those things. So if that's a helpful resource for you, uh, feel free to use them. Let's pray. Jesus, once again, we are so grateful for this incredible leader, Paul, and uh, his life in the early church and the way in which he took your message to so many different people and helped them to discover the radical message uh, that came from your life, death and resurrection and what it meant to uh, centre their lives and orient their lives around you. And we thank you for the way that he faithfully then followed up with people and that those records of him following up enable us to have a good understanding of what was happening in the early church Uh, but give us a glimpse of what it looks like to be a healthy church ourselves. And so we pray that you would continue uh, to encourage us and strengthen us as we take these words from Paul and apply them in our lives and in our church context. We pray that you would continue to pour your love into us in such a full way that it does overflow out of us. You know that our heart's desire is to be a place where people experience your love in tangible ways, that when we gather together, people's experiences are being splashed with your love. But that as we then scatter out into all of the different circles that we'll go into this week, that we have an opportunity also uh, to be able to splash your love around on people who we know so desperately need it. So we ask that you would continue to fill us, you would continue to challenge us about what it looks like to follow you, even in those times when life is difficult and to be able to move forward uh, in what it means for us uh, to be people who can share your love. In your name we pray. Amen.